welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. Isham invites you to log on, listen, and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome, Isham Nation, to the Process This podcast. This is episode number 14. It's great to be here with you again. As always, we have a great show for you. My colleague and one of your Ishan clinical educators, Sue Klasik, is with us today talking about Amy. Now, Sue is the primary representative for Isham at Amy, which basically means that Isham feels strongly enough about the work and the processes in sterile processing that it sends Sue to represent all the end users like us, meaning you and me, to Amy to ensure sterile processing professionals have a voice in the standards writing process. Sue not only sits on several Amy committees, but currently she's the user co-chair for Amy ST79. Now, if you're not familiar with Amy, Amy stands for the Association for the Advancement of Medical Instrumentation. Now, Amy is where we, as sterile processing professionals, look to for standards in our profession. And probably the most recognized standard you're familiar with is ST79, which is the Steam Sterilization and Sterility Assurance in Healthcare Facility Standard. Sue's going to break down the processes within the standards and then talk about the inner workings of those standards. And then last, make sure you stick around until the end. I have an exciting announcement for you that you're not going to want to miss. But before that, Isha Nation, let's get to it. Let's talk to Sue. Thank you, Sue, for joining us on this Process This podcast. Uh, Today we're talking about Amy. So can you tell our listeners uh, what Amy stands for? Thanks, John. It's my pleasure to be here. Amy is the Association for the Advancement of Medical Instrumentation. Amy develops consensus standards that we use in sterile processing and are considered best practices. The most well-known standards are the Amy ST79 Steam Sterilization Standard, ST91 Flexible Endoscope, and ST58 on high-level disinfection. They also develop standards for the medical device industry, as well as practical information support and guidance for the healthcare technology. The standards provide the criteria for the type of environment needed. The standards and recommended practices are developed by expert stakeholders in the industry with the latest research and technology. They are developed as consensus documents. The intent is to ensure patient safety. These recommended practices are developed to increase the safe and effective application of current technologies. They are used for surveys to ensure best practices are being followed, and these standards are used to develop policies and procedures in healthcare facilities. Also, as new clinical needs arise, an AMI committee may be formed to address some of the concerns, as was the case with the flexible endoscopes, which is now a standard of ST91. Why are AMI standards recommended for use in a healthcare facility? Well, in sterile processing, we perform many different types of activities to prepare an instrument or medical device for safe patient use, and the AMI standards provide us with a roadmap to safely process an item. The standards meet with the regulatory requirements. In fact, the FDA attends the meetings to provide information and to assure the standards are in compliance with the regulations. The AMI standards provide the sterile processing professional with guidance to effectively process a medical device. So I'll go over them real quickly. 
we start at the very beginning of the process. And as we know, the very beginning of our process is the point of use treatment. So in the standards, we talk about point of use treatment, why it's important. Because we need to make sure that the debris does not harden and dry, and also to prevent the formation of biofilm. And so in the standards, we talk about how to prevent the formation of biofilm in the drying of the the debris by keeping the instrumentation moist, and it provides several different methods to do that. After the point-of-use treatment, the next task is that the instrument needs to be safely transferred to the decontamination room. And the AMI standard provides directly how to do that, including the exact type of container to use. After it is transported to the decontamination room, that's where sterile processing really begins its magic. Because as we know, if it's not clean, it can't be sterilized. And so the decontamination part of the document provides guidance how to properly perform decontamination, starting with wearing the PPEs to protect the employees. And a lot of the processes that we use come out of ST79. For example, brushing underwater, prevent aerosols from being formed, using the correct type of brush, meaning the type of brush and also the correct size, and all the equipment that we use in the decontam, the sink, making sure we're dosing it correctly, sonic, the other automatic washers, and making sure that we test the washers to make sure that they are actually working effectively. So there's a lot in the decontamination process, followed by inspection. When we inspect the instruments, we want to make sure that they are thoroughly cleaned and that there's no flaws. And so through the AMI standards, it talks about inspection. Preparation would be our next step. As we prepare instrumentation for sterilization, we need to make sure that the sterilant will have full access to all surfaces of the item that we're preparing. So it's important that as we prepare an item that we're we're thinking about how we're going to get the sterilant in and how the sterilant will come out, and that the item is prepared properly also for our users. After the item is prepared, the item gets packaged, and the AMI standards provide guidance on the different types of packaging materials. We have peel pack, flat wrap, and containers. And so guidance is provided to the users on exactly what type of packaging selection we would want. So if we're just using a small, lightweight item, we would be able to choose a peel pack. And there's actually diagrams in the document talking about how to properly peel pack an item. And the same with flat wrap and for a container. The document then goes into detail describing how to properly perform flat wrapping. What's very important about packaging is that as the package is opened up in surgery, that it's opened up aseptically. For that to occur, sterile processing techs have to package the item appropriately, and Amy provides the information and diagrams how to perform that properly using either the envelope or the square fold. The other type of packaging with flat wrap is sequential and simultaneous. And so the AMI document talks about how to perform sequential packaging and what it is, and the same with simultaneous packaging. We then have to select the sterilization modality that we're going to use, and for steam, we're going to make sure that we're using the correct cycle, whether it's gravity or dynamic air removal. We will select the correct cycle, and that guidance is provided in the AMI documents. Along with loading, we need to load the sterilizer cart to make sure that, once again, that the steam, which is our sterilant, 
has full access to all surfaces that we're sterilizing. So for instance, if I was loading a basin, I would load it to make sure that if water was in it, it would easily flow out. It, the Amy SD-79 actually provides some of the diagrams on this. So loading the sterilizer is very important because we need to make sure that we have enough room for the steam in the air to circulate throughout the chamber. And so through the Amy document, it provides that. After the sterilizer is properly loaded, we turn it on, and during the cycle, we're going to be checking to make sure that we're meeting all parameters. At the end of the cycle, we're going to check the parameters, and this is all in the AMI document. The operator will check the physical printout and to make sure that all the parameters have been met. They then sign that, which indicates that they have, in fact, reviewed the parameters. The parameters have been met, and they can now release the load for safe use. And of course, there is discussion in there if we haven't met parameters of what to do then. Unloading the sterilizer is important because we don't want to contaminate the items after we've gone through all of these processes. So the AMI document provides information on how to unload the sterilizer. Of course, we're not going to put the load in a very cold place. And as we unload it, we're going to be checking the packages to make sure that all the chemical indicators have changed, that the packages are dry, and that there are no holes in the packages. After that, the packages then go into storage. It's a sterile storage, and the AMI document provides guidance on what the storage conditions should be like. And lastly, safe transport to patient care. After we've gone through the decontamination, preparation, sterilization, and storage, the document provides guidance how to safely transport the items to patient care so that they are not contaminated and that the integrity of the sterilization is protected. So I've given a quick recap on um, AMI SD-79, but there are other AMI documents dealing with sterilization and disinfection that provides very similar information in ST-58. So that is some great information, and you know you can definitely clearly see why it's important to uh, have those AMI documents in your department. Um, Sue, I know there's some other information. Can you talk a little bit about the other information provided in the standards? Oh, sure. It's not just the process itself, but it also provides guidance on uh, the necessary work area to perform the processing activities. For example, the processing has to be a one-way directional flow to prevent the items from becoming recontaminated. And ideally, of course, we would like a wall in between. And if you can't, the document provides guidance on what steps you can do. And the utility needs. When we're performing sterilization, there's an awful lot of utility needs. Obviously, the steam quality is very, very important. And that's included in the document, along with the lighting requirements and the airflow. The facility design is very important, too, because we need to keep the area clean. And so we need a non-porous surface for both the walls and the floors because they're cleaned daily, if not more often. And even the ceiling, we need to make sure that the ceiling has non-particulate uh, fibers because we don't want them falling into our sterile packs. There's also special requirements for each of the work areas. For instance, the eyewash stations and even our workstation, some of the parameters we need for for our workstation. You know, we need a nice solid workstation, preferably one that is height adjustable. 
Now, the processes that are performed in serial processing are very important, and a very important component of that is our CS techs, their education and their training, because the work is performed by them. And so the standard talks about what are the necessary qualifications for the personnel working in the serial processing department. For instance, the qualifications for both a technician and for the leadership. The training and education that goes into being a CES tech and also the leader. There's an awful lot involved. And looking at the instrumentation that we process, our packaging materials, the sterilization modalities, all of that needs a lot of training and education for anybody working in the serial processing environment. The documents talk about the health and hygiene and even the type of attire to wear in different areas. As I said earlier, in the decontam, we must wear PPEs, but yet in the sterile prep and packaging, we, we don't need to wear the PPEs, but rather clean surgical scrub attire. And quality, we have to make sure that everything we process is of the utmost quality. It's a major function of medical device processing. And the AMI standards discuss how to assure that the items being processed meet with these high standards. So the, there's many, many quality tests being performed, um, especially on the equipment used to process the instrumentation. We perform verification testing for our sterilizers and our washers. And once again, we need to assure that they are working at optimum performance. We need to also show that all of our processes of our instrumentation have been have undergone sterilization, and we do that by including a chemical indicator in, inside and outside of every package. In addition, we use biological indicators in a PCD and a process challenge device pack to monitor our sterilizers, indicating that all the sterilization parameters have been met. And of course, record keeping. If it's not recorded, we didn't do it. But there would be a lot of confusion if we didn't know exactly what records to keep and how to keep them. So in the AMI documents, it is provided information on what record keeping is necessary, including the labeling requirements for the packages that are undergoing sterilization. That's where we get the information on the lot control number, where we monitor the sterilizer and the load and the date. Those come out to our lot control number and the quality assurance for the safe release of our packages to make sure that they have, in fact, met the high standards of sterilization. There are times that our sterilizers do break, and we even have major repairs performed. When that happens, we have to perform quality qualification testing to assure that our sterilizers are working at their highest level, and even when we get new sterilizers. And the AMI standards go into talking about what qualification testing is, how to perform it, and when it should be performed. For instance, when we get a new sterilizer, when a sterilizer is moved, and a major repair. And the document talks about exactly what a major repair is. There's also product testing. Product testing is verifying that the manufacturer's IFU for a medical device can be successfully sterilized in a user's sterilizer. When to perform that and how to perform that is also in the document. And then we have the annexes, and there's many annexes in ST79. There are examples of workplace design, 
what to do if you have a CJD patient in their instrumentation, how to perform user verification of cleaning, instructions of how to return uh, devices to the manufacturer, and there's many, many more. As you can see, there's lots of information in the AME document, especially AME ST79. If you don't have one of these, you know, definitely look into getting one. See how you can get one. Work with your uh, OR director. Work with your uh, materials management. However, whatever your chain of command is, look into getting this document. It's very important. As you can see, uh, it shows the processes of how we do things in sterile processing. So let's kind of change a uh, little direction. You know, you are involved in AMI and you have been for a very long time. How are the standards in AMI developed? The AMI staff will circulate a committee draft to the committee members. So from the committee draft, we perform a formal review. We go line by line. I, am, I represent ISHM. And so when I get a committee draft, I read the document cover to cover. And if there is something that needs changed, at that point, we make a formal comment to make for the change. All of those comments are then reviewed at a committee meeting. And these documents are usually circulated about six weeks before we meet, although sometimes it can be more and sometimes less. It's at the staff discretion. And again, all the comments are collected by the AME staff. They're collated. They're then provided to all of the committee members before the meeting. The committee then considers all of the comments at a face-to-face -face meeting, sometimes electronically, but most of them are face-to-face, -to, -face, to resolve the comments. Being a consensus document, we need to agree on all of the comments. Um, it, sometimes it takes a while and it could be challenging, uh, but we do usually come to a consensus, even if it means rewording some items. After that, the, the changes are made and the committee uh, once again gets the uh, document and we review it. The final draft is when the committee considers all the comments. The changes are then incorporated into the draft document, which is now considered a final draft. The final draft is circulated for a final 15-day committee review. Final comment review gives members the opportunity to review that all the resolutions to the comments have been incorporated into the document and has agreed. No new comments are accepted at this stage. The final draft is then submitted to the AMI Standards Board for its approval as an AMI Standard or a TIR. Following approval, standards are submitted to ANSI for approval as an American National Standard. The document is then published by AMI as soon as possible. So when I read the AMI Standards, or if I pick up an AMI Standard, you know, a lot of times I see these words like must or shall or should. You know, can you talk about these words and, and how these or why these words are so important for the CS personnel? Yes, these are key words that are used throughout the documents, and they have specific meaning, and we only use them as, as they are defined in an Amy document. So I'll start with must, and must is used to describe an unavoidable situation including those mandated by the government regulation. So, for instance, the word must is used when we say you must wear PPE in the decontamination room. That is an OSHA requirement, and there is no way around it. Another word is shall. Shall indicates requirements strictly to be followed to conform to the recommended practices, without mentioning or excluding others. 
or that a certain course of action is preferred but not necessarily required, or that in the negative form a certain possibility or course of action should be avoided but is not prohibited. For instance, in SC 79, it says the CSS area should include, there's in a long list of items that we should include, and that's because that helps make the department run more efficiently, more effectively, and produces medical instrumentation that meets the high quality. May is used to indicate that a course of action is permissible within the limits of the recommended practice. For instance, trade liners may be used to protect instruments from damage and to absorb moisture. Lastly, the word can is used as a statement of possibilities and capabilities. For instance, racks and stringers can be used to hold instruments open. So, who are the members that make up these AMI committees? The AMI committees are made up of volunteers, and these are technical experts. And the committee membership fall into one of the five categories. A user is an individual or institutional representative who uses the materials, products, systems, or services covered by the standard. So, I, I represent ISHM. We are members uh, listed as users on the AME committee. Hospital members would also be classified as users. Industry is an individual or organizational representative who is involved in commercial activities related to the technical documents developed by AME, and this includes our test houses and commercial labs. General interest is an individual who has a great non-commercial interest in the materials products, systems, or services covered by the technical documents developed by AMI. And then, of course, we have regulatory, and that is an individual who is involved in the regulation of the materials, products, systems, or services covered by the technical documents, for instance, the FDA. And lastly is other, and that's an individual who does not fit into any of the other categories, but still has an identifiable material interest, or specialized knowledge of the materials, products, systems, or services covered by the technical documents developed by AMI. So AMI has two different documents, standards and TIRs, that they publish. Can you talk about the differences between the two? Oh, sure. And it can be confusing because we, we talk about both of these documents. But a standard is intended to promote safe, safe use, application, and maintenance of medical instrumentation in a healthcare delivery setting. These types of standards primarily rely on the device manufacturer's instructions for use and are not intended to supersede existing clinical practice guidelines. They are approved by the National Standards Institute, ANSI, as an American national standard. So in your opinion, uh, what AMI standards should be in the sterile processing department's library? Well, in the serial processing library, we should have the AMI SC58 standard, which is chemical sterilization and high-level disinfection in healthcare facilities. Of course, AMI ST79 comprehensive guide to steam sterilization and sterility assurance in healthcare facilities. There's a new one, relatively new, in the last couple of years, and that is ST90, processing of healthcare products, quality management systems for processing in healthcare facilities. And lastly, ST91 for flexible and semi-rigid endoscope processing in healthcare facilities. We also have the technical information reports. 
The difference between the technical information reports and standards is that TIRs are informative documents. They're not normative standards. These documents may be used to support a standard as a pre-standard, which was the case with ST58. ST58 used to be a TIR, and over, year, over the years, because based on needs, it was changed into a standard. Or to address a particular aspect of medical technology or new technology. So a TIR that we're very familiar with is loaned instrumentation, and that was based on needs of the industry. Although the material presented in a TIR may need further evaluation by experts, releasing the information is valuable because the industry and the professionals have an immediate need for it. A TIR is not subject to the same formal approval process and review as the standards. However, a TIR is approved for distribution by an AMI technical committee in the AMI Standards Board. A TIR may be developed as it is more responsive to an underlying safety or performance issue than a standard, or because achieving consensus is extremely difficult or unlikely. Unlike a standard, a TIR permits the inclusion of differing viewpoints on a technical issue. It is updated every 5 to 10 years. After 5 years, it is checked for its usefulness. That is, is the information still relevant or of historical value? If not, the TIR is removed. It can be revised or withdrawn at any time because it addresses a quickly changing technology. So same question as in the standards. What TIRs should the sterile processing department have? TIR 34 is a good one. That's on the water processing of medical devices. TIR 63, management of loaned, critical, and semi-critical medical devices that require sterilization or high-level disinfection. Two new TIRs within the last couple years. TIR 67, which is promoting safe practices pertaining to the use of sterilant and disinfectant chemicals in healthcare facilities. And TIR 68, which is on low and intermediate level disinfection in healthcare settings for medical devices and patient care equipment and sterile processing environmental services. If our listeners are interested in becoming a part of an AMI committee, uh, how can they be involved or how can, they, how can they do that? Well, we certainly need more users on our committees and we welcome all of them. So requesting to be on a committee can be done by either applying for a membership to a standards committee or sometimes people are appointed by their company, which would be their hospital, to be a representative to AMI. Members need to have direct interest in the work that the committee is responsible for, as well as the time and resources needed to participate in the work of the committee. The membership for application is on the AMI website. When applying, the applicant will need a resume, and during the application process, you will be asked if you are the primary or the alternate voter. You just said something about primary and alternate voter. Can you describe what that means? The primary voters are the people who are responsible for submitting the company positions and comments on any ballot that has been initiated, and they are also the primary voter. Alternates may submit a company position and comments if the primary is not available. Each organization is limited to one vote. However, comments can be collected from other subject matter experts within the organization and they will all be submitted under one voting member's name. 
All right, so we're just about out of time for this presentation. Uh, Sue, do you have any advice, last-minute advice, for that CS technician uh, regarding AMI standards? Yes, I highly encourage them to get the AMI standards and to read them. They should be available to all staff members to review. And if possible, please get involved with the AMI standards. We need more users on our committees. Great. Thank you, Sue, for taking the time uh, to talk to the Isham Nation on this process, this podcast. Pleasure being here. Again, thank you, Sue, for speaking with us today and giving us some insight into Amy. Now, as Sue mentioned, Amy is always looking for user representation to be involved in the standards process. If you have the resources and the desire to make a change in sterile processing, you might want to consider applying to sit on an Amy committee. Isham Nation 2020 is a year of first. As you know, Isham, following the advice of the federal and local governments, canceled the annual conference and expo for the safety of the attendees. Since that announcement, the Isham Board of Directors and Isham staff have been working tirelessly to bring you another first. Isham has announced the first virtual Isham Online Educational Conference. So instead of bringing it home Chicago, Isham will be engaging you virtually by bringing it home to you. The online conference will be open from May 22nd to July 20th. So be sure to mark May 22nd on your calendar for the launch of the Isham's inaugural virtual event. The Isham Online Educational Conference will give you access to on-demand education sessions and live webinars, along with opportunities to engage with vendors presenting CE education or live product demos. You can also win prizes in the scavenger hunt and review all the 2020 poster presentation submissions. Personally, I'm really excited about this opportunity and this event, and I think it shows Isham's dedication to bring you education. Now, here's the best part of this deal. Admission is free to anyone holding a current Isham certification or membership. Again, admission is free to anyone holding a current Isham certification or membership. One last time in case you missed that, free, 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 free. You can't beat this deal, so be on the lookout for that registration and register today. Thank you for listening to this episode. Don't forget your CE. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, fill out the required information, and select the code ST58. The code for this episode is ST58. Remember, keep an ear out for the next episode, always on the 1st and 15th of every month. Each episode's on demand, so when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. And as always, stay classy, Isham Nation, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>